God First. That's the name of our new sermon series, and we're going to be taking a look at several biblical characters who at different times and in different circumstances and in different ways chose to put God first. So we're going to start by looking at Nehemiah, Hosea, and Haggai. And then a little later in the year, we're going to come back and take three Sundays to look at Esther. So we're going to start with Nehemiah. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be facilitating a module class over at Grace College and Seminary called Leadership in the Local Church. And so in preparation for this, I ordered several books on leadership, and I have been kind of reading those. And then in the last week or two, I've been reading and rereading Nehemiah. And I realized that none of those books I ordered hold a candle <laughs> to the book of Nehemiah because it has to be the best leadership manual ever. What a wonderful leader and a man of God. You know, almost all of us in one way or another uh, function in some kind of leadership capacity. Whether you're managing people at work, or you are raising kids at home, or you are shepherding a life group, or giving leadership to a ministry team, or you're uh, teaching a class of students, or you're just trying to keep yourself under control. You are leading, and leading is hard, because whenever you lead, you take on responsibility. Whenever you lead, you have to take uh, steps of risk and faith and trust. Uh, when you lead, you inevitably run into problems. And when you lead, you have to work with people whom I've heard can sometimes be uncooperative and complain. So how do you lead? Whatever, whatever your context of leadership is, how do you lead well with hope? Well, Nehemiah has something to say about that. Nehemiah is a strong leader who led in the face of very challenging circumstances. And actually, the, the whole book of Nehemiah is a wonderful tapestry on leadership. And we're going to come back to it and take a look at more of it. But today, we're just going to select one strand out of this beautiful tapestry of leadership, one bold and prominent strand of leadership, and, and trace it through the story. And even if we just take this one strand and put it into practice, it alone has the power to help us to lead with hope and courage and faith. So let's start. I invite you to take uh, your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. If you have a pew Bible that's right there in front of you, you'll find it on page 750. Now let's back up the truck. Beep, 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 and get a, a running start historically so you can place Nehemiah in his historical context. So we're going to back up the truck quite a ways, all the way to the Exodus where God, with great power, delivers and redeems and rescues his people from Egypt. He brings them out of slavery and bondage, and he brings them to himself, and he gives them a new identity. He says, you're my treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. And he reveals himself to them, and he gives them his good laws and commands, and he does all of that for this purpose. He wants these people to be a display people for him in the world, shining out, demonstrating, expressing, revealing what it is like to have a relationship with the one true God, so that the nations, the peoples would be attracted to the one true God. 
That's what he called them to do. But unfortunately, through hundreds and hundreds of years, the time of the judges, and then the time of the united monarchy under Saul and David and Solomon, and then under the divided monarchy, for hundreds of years, the people rebelled against God. They refused to follow him and to follow his commands. And instead of being a, a holy nation, separate unto God, and therefore revealing to the nations what it's like to have a relationship with the one true God, instead, they pursued idolatry and became not just like the other nations, sometimes worse than the other nations around them. And so they failed completely as the display people for God. And although God is slow to anger, remember, hundreds and hundreds of years go by, Although God is slow to anger, he is just. And so he judged his people. First of all, the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken into captivity by Assyria in 722 B.C. And then a little while later, uh, Judah, the people of Judah and Benjamin were taken into exile by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and took the people into exile. Now, God had over and over and over again warned them to the prophets that if they continued in their stubborn disobedience and rebellion and idolatry, that judgment would come. But he also promised to the prophets that he would restore his people. So we see there that in 538 B.C., a decree was given that the Jews could return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And uh, so there were waves of returnees, Jews, back to Jerusalem and Judah. But it was rough. It was hard going. And uh, with only fits and starts, which we'll learn about when we look at uh, the book of Haggai and Haggai, eventually the temple does get completed in 516, although it's only a shadow of its former glory. The, the temple is rebuilt. Uh, but the people, need, they need more than just bricks and mortar. They need their hearts to be reformed and transformed and called to follow God. And so they needed leaders to come who, who, would, who would bring them to God in worship. And, and Ezra the priest is one of those who comes in 458 B.C. And then finally we get to our story. We get to uh, Nehemiah. And it begins in 445 B.C. And by that time... Artaxerxes I was king over the huge, massive Persian Empire. For you who like maps, there's one. <laughs> That's a lot of territory, actually. In fact, uh, it, the, our story starts over here in Susa. All right, and way over here where it says beyond the river, there's Jerusalem down there under that. Yeah, but our story begins in Susa. And one of Nehemiah's relatives uh, comes to him one day with some uh, Jews who had been to Jerusalem and back. And Nehemiah is greatly interested in what's happening in Jerusalem and how things are going. And so he asks about the welfare of the people in Jerusalem and Judah. And the news that he hears is super discouraging. This is what we read in Nehemiah 1.3. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So here it is. 
if you did the math in your head, it's almost 100 years after Cyrus decreed that the Jews could return to Jerusalem, and it's a mess. It, it is absolutely a mess. It doesn't look much different than after Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it and raised it and burned it and torn it to the ground. Yeah, the temple's built, but there's not, not much else. And so it's an absolute mess. It's chaos. It's shambles. Everything is in disarray. This is bad news. This is bad news. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. And it's not just bad news because the walls hadn't been built. It's bad news because all the chaos of it demonstrated that the people were not yet in a position to truly worship God. They're, they're, it wasn't just the, the walls of their city that needed rebuilt. It was their hearts that needed to be reformed and transformed. What do you do when you get bad news? The car needs another repair? Did you say cancer? Another state passed a late-term abortion bill? The city won't let us use that facility because we're a religious organization? You're telling me that you don't believe in Jesus anymore and you reject the Bible as God's word? What do you do when you get bad news? Denial? It's not happening. It's not happening. Apathy? So what? No big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. Anger? I'll show them. Fear? Oh, we're doomed. Anxiety? I just can't handle life. Well, how did Nehemiah respond to bad news? This is bad news. When Nehemiah got bad news, he prayed. Check it out. Verses 4 through 11. When we get bad news, pray. Nehemiah is our example for that. This is what happens. Verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So obviously he's not living in denial. Okay? He's, he's feeling the weight that things aren't as God wants, and he wants things as God wants them to be. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he didn't live in denial. He, he engaged with the reality of the situation. It made him sad, but it didn't paralyze him with anger or fear or anxiety or apathy. Instead, he chooses to do something about it. Now, it's interesting to me that leaders, people who are leaders, often are people who are able to look at challenges, and instead of seeing problems, they see opportunities. I remember Tom Julian in his office over at, or when it was Grace Brethren International Missions, had a plaque that said, uh, don't see challenges as problems, but as opportunities. And uh, a, a people who have the ability to lead and the stamina to lead are often those kinds of people who take a problem and they see it as an opportunity or even as a calling. Ne Nehemiah kind of, it became a calling for him. I, I, we see this all the time, by the way. I have a niece who had bone cancer in her leg when she was in high school. And that's bad news, right? Now, she survived that, and today she's doing her PhD work in oncological research. She's, she's 
She, she said, this is my calling to try, to try to find a cure for cancer. I can't, think of, uh, I can't help but think of Bill Foley. He was a lawyer in our town who started the All Things New, and, and, and he was confronted with the bad news of the epidemic of meth use in our community, and all of a sudden, in praying, it dawned on him, maybe this is what God, maybe I'm part of the solution to the problem. I, I think uh, like Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, MAD, I think that was started by, by women who lost children. They got the bad news that their children had been killed by drunk drivers. And so they said, we're going to do something about it. It's a calling. How do you respond to bad news? Do you see it as an opportunity? Listen to this. I got this this morning. This is from some of our global teammates who live uh, not far from Syria. This is news about Syria. Now, whenever you hear news from Syria, is it good news or bad news? bad news. We've been hearing nothing but bad news out of Syria for years. That's how we look at it. It's just bad news. How do you respond to bad news? Listen to this report from that area of the world that the church, those, those small and declining uh, before the war, this is what they did. They fasted and prayed for two years. Though the war and persecution that came through the war and persecution that came, a great disciple-making movement began. Thousands of Syrians have come to Christ, and the churches today cannot contain all those who have turned to Christ. Now, uh, pe people uh, who, who will lead strongly and confidently with hope in the face of trials, they, they see problems as opportunities, even a calling, but they don't jump into that without first going to God. The prerequisite for doing what God wants you to do is to pray. And even though Nehemiah demonstrates that he's an incredibly capable and competent leader, he's not going to rely on those strengths and gifts. He's going he's to start with prayer. And so here he begins to pray, and we see that he prays first. He first starts with prayer before he jumps into this, uh, and he prays uh, persistently, says for days, and then we'll read in a moment that he, he prayed continually. He prayed day and night. So he prayed first, he prayed persistently, he prayed continually. And this is how he prayed, verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel. I love this because Nehemiah starts with thinking about God, remembering who God is. Remembering on one hand that God is transcendent, he's awesome and, and all-powerful and glorious in his strength. He, he, he's way above our problems and way bigger than our circumstances. That's where we begin. But not only is he transcendent, he is also close, he's imminent, he's close by to us. He's a God who makes covenant. And he keeps his covenants and, and his promises, and he is close, and he can hear, and he listens, and he acts. And so he begins by focusing on God and his character. That's the best place to start. When we hear bad news, that's the best place to start. C compare that bad news to who God is. And in comparison with the greatness and the glory and the power of God, then those bad news problems tend not to be so overwhelming and overawing. So he begins by looking at God. And he continues, 
We're in verse 6. Confess, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And so he goes on to confess not just the sins of the people, but his sins. He includes himself in it. And, and he recognizes that it's only because of God's grace that he can come to him because he has sinned and rebelled in his heart. And so he confesses his sin. Remember, uh, in our last series, we talked about the call to discipleship as a call to repent and to believe and to follow. And we need to do that continually to confess. And so we see Nehemiah setting an example again for us by vulnerably confessing his sin and his need for forgiveness, his need for God. And then he continues, verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Now, this is classic. This is good because Nehemiah is uh, quoting God <laughs> to God, right? He's, he, he's, he's basing his request, he's rooting his request, his prayer, in the words and the promises and the truth of God. He knows, he knows what God's will is, and he prays according to God's will. Of course, in the New Testament, we hear, you know, if you'll pray in the name of Jesus according to his will, it'll be done. That We need to know what God's will is, though to pray according to it. Well, there's a, there's a bit here that's true for all time and true now. God is a God who redeems. He had redeemed his people with great strength and a mighty hand. He is a God who redeems. And so Nehemiah says, you, God, who redeems people, please do it now. Act now. And, and we can pray with confidence that same prayer on God's will and God's heart to redeem men and women, boys and girls. And then finally, uh, Nehemiah makes his request, okay? He, he requests something specific here. Verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He, he brings a specific request. Who, by the way, is this man? Yeah, it's the king. It's not just any man. <laughs> this man yeah, it's the most powerful man in the whole earth at that time. It's Artaxerxes I. It's the king, the emperor, the all-powerful one at that moment. And he says, just help me uh, have success and favor with this man. Well, how can he call him just this man? Well, because he's just been praying to God, right? And in comparison to the God of glory, the king of the universe, Artaxerxes is just this guy. He's just another guy, Right? So, I, I love that prayer that the book begins with prayers, can end with prayers, can have prayer all through it. It's, it's Nehemiah's diary, and a lot of his diary is prayers. And if you keep a journal or a diary, I hope a, a lot of your journal and diary is prayers as well. And so he's got to act. And we have to act. We have to, we have to step out in faith and do something. And what Nehemiah had to do is he needed to make a request of the king. It was kind of an unusual thing, and it sounds easier than it was. So Nehemiah was this cupbearer, he tells us at the end of chapter 1 there, which is, a, which is a position of influence. 
He, he has the ear of the king. He's in the presence of the king. Uh, he has influence at the very highest level of the empire. Now, that doesn't mean he was always before the king, because there, there were probably more than one uh, cupbearer. Uh, so he's not always before the king, and the rule was that you always had to be congenial and happy and pleasant in the presence of the king, because it was all about the king, right, and making him feel good. Well, Nehemiah just couldn't fake it, right? He was grieving, he was sad over the condition of Jerusalem, and so he doesn't fake it. He, 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 his grieving shows up, his sadness, his, his broken heart shows up in the presence of the king. The king notices it, says, what's going on? What's wrong? And Nehemiah tells him about the, the desperate situation of his people, his countrymen, in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, the king asks him this. What is it you want? Now, I love this. Notice this answer here. Notice. So they're in a conversation. They're talking. And the king says, what's your request? What do you want? What are you asking for? I'm perceiving that you would like to ask me a question. What is it? Now, now evidently, Nehemiah was a very loyal and faithful servant and had earned the respect and the friendship of the king. Okay? So he says, what, what do you want? Now, Nehemiah didn't go off to the prayer closet and say, just, I'll be back in 10 Okay, he immediately answers the king, but notice what's going on here. Check it out. I love this. Notice that as he answers the king, he is simultaneously shooting up a spontaneous prayer to God. So we, we read this. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. So multitasking was going on before cell phones and computers and stuff. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I love this example. I love it because um, it, it demonstrates how we should pray all the time. We, we can pray all the time. You're having a, a tough week at work? Pray. Need to, need to confront a colleague, have a difficult conversation with a colleague as you're going into and as you're having that conversation, pray. While you're engaging someone in spiritual conversation, pray. When your kids are driving you nuts, pray. When you see an opportunity to do good but you'd rather just take it easy, pray. When temptation comes and you feel it pulling and tugging at your soul, your heart, pray. We can all do this. We can all multitask. It started way back with Nehemiah. And this actually was one of the biggest things that helped my prayer life is to kind of explode it out of the little box I had it in. Somehow I grew up thinking you need five minutes in the morning with a list. I recommend that. That is really good. But, but when it finally dawned on me that we are called truly to pray without ceasing, and that is to bring God into every aspect of our day, to invite him to enter in, that he is close and he wants to enter in, and, and we can be talking to him while we are doing other things. So in the back of my head right now, I can say, oh God, please help this to be clear and to penetrate hearts and to convict and, and help me to end on time and all those kinds of things. <laughs> that, that can be going on. That can be going on at, you know, as you're doing something. And so, what, is, what are you challenged with this week? Uh, 
I encourage you uh, to pray about it, but plan now to pray while it's happening. Pray while it's happening. Bring God into those moments every day. That's what Nehemiah did. He didn't just pray kind of formal, written, long prayers. He also shot things up to God in the moment, asking for his help, and we can do that too. When we step out in faith, we need to pray, invite God into it. So, uh, King says, good, good to go, you can go, you can go rebuild uh, Jerusalem, and that's wonderful, and you say, hey, God answered Nehemiah's prayer, isn't that wonderful, everything is sweet and hunky-dory and easy from there out. No, you know, you would be really wrong. So, so God can answer prayers, but that doesn't make life easy. And what we see next in this story, and what I want to kind of focus on and end on, is how Nehemiah dealt with the problems and the challenges that he faced. Because he's going to face a lot of problems, and we do too. We deal with problems. Leadership's not easy. Sometimes it just seems like one difficult thing after another, one obstacle after another, one resistance you got to push through after another. And he, he experienced external opposition and resistance from people who didn't want to see the situation changed, who wanted to hold on to the status quo, who didn't want him to succeed. He, he um, experienced internal conflict among his own people who, who were resistant to helping or were complaining or were, were bickering with each other. And he even had, um, inside of himself, challenges to deal with. All of these in leadership you have. Well, what does, what does he do when he has to deal with problems? Well, he prays. Let me give you some examples. I can't go through all of them because there are so many. Well, in chapter 4, for example, in the first four verses, Nehemiah and his wall-building project are mocked, ridiculed, and criticized. <clears throat> ha! He thinks he's going to build the wall. He's going to rebuild the wall. What a joke. It will never happen. I mean, if a fox jumped up on that wall they're building, the whole thing would crumble to dust. Now, uh, leaders face criticism all the time. And in our day and age of, of uh, social media and Facebook and all that, Everybody has strong opinions, and everybody feels free to share them, and oftentimes leaders are the targets of all of that. What, what do you do when you are criticized and mocked and put down? Well, what did, what did Nehemiah do? Well, he prayed. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Look what he says. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. People are mocking us and criticizing us and putting us down. Turn their insults back on their own heads. And well, it goes on, but it's kind of a, a prayer, it's a, a, a cursing prayer, which I don't think we get to have in our arsenal of prayer, uh, so I'm not recommending that. We're to, we're to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, pray, pray for those who mock and criticize us. But here's the point, instead of fighting fire with fire, he took it to God. He said, God, you deal with it. They, they are despising us and mocking us and criticizing us and trying to get us down and crush us and make us feel small. But God, we're coming to you. We're coming to you. You take care of it. The rest of the chapter is actually more internal. It's the, it's the Jews in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. And, and they, they're starting all kinds of gossip and rumors and fear-mongering and conflict within their own ranks. Oh, our, our enemies are coming from every direction and they're going to attack us. 
And this work, oh, it's too hard. We can't do it. There's too much rubble. We, we'll never be able to finish this. I, this is impossible. We can't do it. Gossip, rumors, complaining, that is just soul-crushing. And it does great damage, and it can ruin organizations and churches when that gets out of control. Remember what James, the brother of Jesus, said. He said the tongue is like a, like a spark, like a flame that sets a whole forest on fire. It does great damage. And, and so these are serious things. Well, well how, does, how does Nehemiah respond to these kinds of gossips and rumors and fear-mongering? Well, look at, the, look at um, verse 9. But we prayed to our God. <laughs> That's how he responded. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay, they, they said, okay, there's a kernel of truth in this, and so we're going to be wise about it. But again, first thing we do is we're going to pray. We're going to pray about it. That's not the end. He has personal temptations in chapter 5. The people are complaining and, and bickering about the inequity, and some are taking advantage of others. But, but one person who didn't take advantage of the people is Nehemiah, but he had the opportunity to do that. As the governor, he had been given the right to be governor of Judah, he could levy taxes on them so that his table would be filled with uh, delicious, wonderful, good food. And all the governors before him had done that. They had, they had abused their power and their position to put a heavy tax on the people to provide the luxuries for themselves. And sometimes leaders can rationalize that kind of thing. Actually, I remember once when I was in junior high, here at this church, a youth leader confessed to the group that he had been taking from the offerings to pay personal expenses. And finally, the Spirit had convicted him, and, and he paid the church back. But I, I was, wow. But that's a temptation to abuse position and power. And, but Nehemiah didn't do that at all. He was very generous and sacrificial. And, and there's a couple of things I love about what happened there. Look at chapter 5. <clears throat> We're in verse 15, kind of the middle, towards the end of verse 15, talking about how the previous governors um, lorded it over the people and abused their position but at the end of that verse, this is, and into verse 16, this is what Nehemiah says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and then jumped down to the end of verse 18. He says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. I, I love this about Nehemiah. He, he didn't say, well, I'm too good for that. I can tell you what to do, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, Nehemiah got his hands dirty. He got down there and worked with the people. And he didn't put a heavy burden on the people at all. Instead, he, he, he did have guests, and he, did, uh, he was hospitable, and he put good food on the table. But guess what? He paid for that himself. He didn't want to put that burden on the people. And, and so what, what does he say to all of this? Is the last verse of chapter 5, verse 19. Remember me with favor, he prays. Remember me with favor, oh my God, for all I have done for these people. He says, I'm, I'm gonna, my reward is with God. I'm going to trust God with my reward. I'm, I'm not going to force it out of the people, squeeze it out of the people, abuse my position. I'm going to trust God with that. 
Well, I could give you lots of other examples. In verse, uh, chapter 6, Nehemiah faces blatant slander, outright intimidation, even, even some of his own people trying to trick him into disobeying God in order to save his skin from these threats, open threats on his life. And in all of it, he answers by praying, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. They're trying to weaken me, but God, I come to you. Give me strength. The walls get built. The walls get built. They're built. It's completed. Yay. The people, they, the people renew their covenant with God. In fact, chapter 9 is a prayer. The whole chapter is a prayer. Hunky-dory, happy ending. But we get to chapter 13 at the end, and the people have shown their inconsistency. And again, again, Nehemiah, in the very last chapter, has to confront the fact that these people aren't respecting the holy place that is the temple. They're allowing people to live in the temple that shouldn't be there at all. They don't respect God's holy day, the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath, buying and selling on the Sabbath. And they're not, they're not respecting God's institution of holy marriage because they're, they're marrying pagans and Gentiles and people who are not a part of the people of God. And so he has to confront them. And in all of it, he says over and over again, remember me, God, remember me. Remember them and what they're doing and remember me. And he closes the whole book this way. It ends with this short prayer, remember me with favor, oh my God. Remember me with favor. Oh, my God. What does he mean when he says, remember me? When God remembers, he acts. When God remembers, he acts. He does something. And so when uh, Nehemiah calls upon God to remember, he's saying, God, act according to your character. Show your justice. Show your grace. Move this thing forward. And even though Nehemiah was a capable, smart godly leader he wasn't going to go around carrying the burdens on the of the world on his back like atlas you know you can picture atlas carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and even though nehemiah was a capable leader over and over again he says god you act you you take it it's yours i'm gonna i'm gonna do my part but remember god act Act according to your character. Act justly. Punish those who deserve it. Reward those who deserve it. I'm going to trust you with that. Please remember me, oh God, and act according to your character. Nehemiah put God first by going to him first. Nehemiah put God first by going to him first. And we do the same thing. We say, God first. Well, that's nice to say, but how do you demonstrate that it's true in your life and your heart? Whatever leadership challenges you have, whether it's at work, at home, at church, in interpersonal relationships, whatever it is, we demonstrate that we put God first by going to God first in every moment, in every circumstance of our life. And of course, Paul wrote much later these words. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And Nehemiah is a great example of that. All kinds of prayers in all kinds of situations. Private prayers, public prayers, long written out formal prayers, spontaneous, um, momentary, quick, short prayers for help. 
all kinds of prayers and all kinds of circumstances. But this is the thing about Nehemiah, is he put God first by going to God first. He put God first by going to God first. And, and that is a leadership quality to emulate. And let's do it right now. We're going to do it right now. Because you all have some challenges that you're facing, I'm sure. So we're going to take a couple moments here to pray quietly. And, and you can do any one of these things. Maybe what you need to do is to just focus on God and his character and who he is. What he's done for you. Maybe for you it's a, it's a matter of, of, I need to confess sin right now and get clean before God. I have a hard time kind of focusing my mind in these kinds of quiet moments in church. And so maybe it's just a matter of re repeating this phrase, remember me, oh God, remember me. And in, and, in, and in praying that, you're saying, God, act according to your character in the situation of my life. Or, or maybe you know what, what the request is that you need to bring. Just ask God right now.